ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Look, whether it's a big concert, a major sporting event, a play, an opera, a comedian on tour, whatever it is, if you want a ticket to see it these days, you're going to be buying that ticket online. And honestly, it doesn't even need to be that big of an event. Most likely your local regional theatre, your playhouse, your event space, they'll be selling you a ticket online as well. In an ideal world, that should be such a simple process. No queuing, no fuss, dive online, get your tickets, easy peasy. Recently, though, you and I saw just how complicated it can all go. My name's Nick Healy, filling in for Rochelle, and last week, Taylor Swift was the hottest ticket in town. It's almost the only news that anyone had time for. Countless Aussies clambering to get their virtual hands on a ticket for what promises to be a truly massive series of concerts. And I do say that as someone who freely admits they prefer our song to shake it off. Uh, This is the tour that will have something for any of the fans. Millions of Swifties and family members of Swifties spent hours in virtual waiting rooms vying for the tickets that were on offer. Hours that may have been quite genuinely wasted. And then the scalping started soon after. Resale prices over $3,000 were spotted on some sites and it prompted the Andrews government to declare the whole series a major event, triggering the state's anti-scalping legislation, meaning those resale prices got capped. That's all just one tour. Before even that, ticketing companies have come under fire for their refund policies, confusing fees, clunky websites and much, much more. So this morning, if you've had hassles with event ticket sales, if you've been through that roundabout, if you know what the issues are, what does need to change? How do we make online ticket sales fair and accessible? On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Now, David Adams is a journalist with Smart Company. He writes a lot about technology and business. And David, last week you were looking very closely at the confusion around this ticketing. And I thought one thing interesting that you pointed out was there was, in a way, no queue for tickets. It sounds counterintuitive to everything I've been saying, but can you explain a little bit about how the waiting room and the ticket allocation actually work? Well, first of all, you're exactly right. Um, I put some questions through to Ticketek after, like, Everyone else listening into this particular show, I'm sure, uh, observed a lot of chaos, a lot of confusion in the lead up to the sale. I put some questions through the ticket deck and they did confirm that there was no formal queue. There was no first in best dressed system where if you were logged onto the site, you know, 20 minutes, an hour, many, in some cases, many hours beforehand waiting for a spot you weren't guaranteed first access to those tickets. So what was actually instituted was more of a waiting lounge area where uh, you would log on to the uh, correct uh, site and it would basically have a constantly refreshing screen saying, uh, we're looking for a spot to let you in, hold tight. But there was you're exactly right, there was no formal queue and... Uh, from some of the conversations I saw online, there was a bit of confusion about that. Um, and Ticketek has its reasonings for why it did that. Um, but yeah, in, in the moment, definitely, uh, yeah, a, a bit of a trying time for Taylor Swift fans. David, confusion and I think a bit of an anger, like it just genuinely wasn't well explained, was it? Well, from what I saw uh, in the lead up to the ticketing event, yeah, there certainly wasn't 
from from my experience, a clear and upfront explanation of, you know, this is not a queue like you are used to. This is not a queue as if you were lining up in a regular ticket booth. Um, the machinery powering that particular system, um, certainly TicTac was open about explaining, uh, more open about explaining its methodologies after the facts and um, uh, before the general sale went on board. But yeah, I, I can definitely see how if you were a Taylor Swift fan logging on on the day and uh, it, would, it, would, it would feel like, well, potentially this is a regular queue system and yeah, I can see where that disconnect would come into play. David, you mentioned that TicTac had its reasons for it. What were those reasons? Well, in some of the responses I received back from Ticketek, they said that this uh, lobby system was one of its primary tools to combat bots and scalpers. So um, in years gone by, potential scalper might be the person in line at 5 a.m. at a ticket booth for a major concert, and then they turn around and they sell that, uh, you know, on the night of the concert for a massively inflated cost. Uh, but in today's market, um, scalpers utilize some pretty sophisticated computer programs to effectively flood online ticket sales and automatically fill out forms, uh, automatically pump payment details in much faster than any regular human can with their card in front of them typing it out. Uh, so this explanation was by instituting this, it sort of allowed them to weed out some of those automated attempts. And uh, if Ticketek is to be believed, they, they told me that that system successfully repelled 500 million bot attempts. So, you know, granted there are many millions of Taylor Swift fans in Australia, but the sort of gravity and size of this event, it really is a sort of a honeypot for people who want to exploit those people using these uh, bot systems. So, yeah, the scale of bot attacks is really significant and I understand it would be you know, very frustrating to be waiting in a queue, which isn't necessarily a queue, but I can also see how, uh, yeah, turning around and having uh, your ticket stolen by a scalper effectively in line is not ideal either. David, just so I understand, when you say bot, you basically mean like a, an automated program that's not a person waiting, but essentially they can set it up and running and it's going to buy tickets without an actual person monitoring it. That's exactly right, yeah. And uh, these systems have become progressively more advanced over the years. Um, in There are some events, obviously, live concerts are a major one, but also things in more niche uh, markets like really highly hyped up sneaker releases where traditionally sneaker fans might line up down the street for a midnight release. Shoe uh, websites are absolutely smashed with these bot attempts. Um, and it, it's really major business. It is big business. And uh, some of the people behind it are very sophisticated running these, like you said, automated pieces of code which are designed to get in front of real fans as quickly and effectively as possible. Now, you mentioned, of course, that TicTac were doing this for the, the Swift concert in particular, knowing how popular that is, but it suggests to me that there can be uh, other concerts, maybe just not of, you know, I guess the media attention that Taylor Swift gets, that might end up getting slammed by these bots. Like, this could be a genuine problem and cutting out real fans. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Huh. I think Taylor... Yeah, Taylor Swift might be an exception in as much as you know, uh, potentially one of the 
most popular living pop artists um, today. And, uh, you know, it's been a few years since, since she has been on tour. But uh, it would not surprise me in the slightest that, you know, most other festivals or uh, concerts, um, even for artists who don't command that same exact international stature, it would not surprise me at all to hear if, you know, bots are you know, proactively getting in there just to see if um, there's any arbitrage on the ticket sales on the, you know, the grey market afterwards. Absolutely. David, is this, like, the only way we can do ticket sales? Are there other ways of making this, I guess, a little more open, fairer, accessible, understandable? Mm, Well, that's a really good question. There are some organisations and some startups in the tech space which think they have solutions to this problem. Um, one of them is an Australian-based startup called Equal, and that's spelled E-Q-L. Mm. And in the, uh, as the Taylor Swift uh, ticketing situation was really ramping up, we heard from Andrew Lipp, who was one of the co-founders, and he said that Equal sort of has a system where some of the, some of the systems they can use effectively verify if someone is a real fan by looking at things like their social media. So one of the tools that they have at their disposal is hypothetically, if you're entering a concert uh, online ticketing sale and it's a, another highly, uh, you know, a really highly hyped event, people might be able to look at, if you provide your social media handles, they might be able to look through your Twitter or your Instagram and automatically see, oh, so-and-so liked or shared this post from the artist back in 2018, you know, they're a long-time fan and maybe there's a sort of metric which that improves your, I I suppose, your fan score to add a little bit of legitimacy to your claim. Um, And, yeah, Equal sort of uh, proposes this system to um, enterprises which might not have their own in-house systems like Ticketek obviously does uh, to kind of restore and maintain the integrity of these sales. But for the moment, what we have is the only game in the town. David Adams, thank you very much. David's a tech and business journalist. You can read his work on Smart Company. Uh, Someone on the text line saying, remember when we used to actually have to sleep out, queuing in the cold and rain to buy tickets? Youth of today are so soft, they get to queue in the warmth and the comfort of their own homes. This is the Conversation Hour. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Nick Healy filling in for Rochelle, one three hundred triple two seven seven four. This is not the first time ticketing companies have come under fire. Now, recently we heard about some significant consumer complaints relating to them were from people chasing refunds for events that have been cancelled or even moved during COVID. Jared Brody, the chair of the Consumers Federation of Australia. Good morning. Good morning, Nick. I have seen some of these complaints and, look, I've got to say, they come across pretty wild. I mean, one person who's paying $30 extra to get so-called refundable tickets, then when they try and get that refund to go to a wedding, they're told that that sort of circumstance wasn't covered by the refunding policy. Now, I do understand that that's a really extreme example, but to me that feels like not a great way to treat a customer. Yeah, I'm not sure it's that extreme. I think that um, ticketing companies, unfortunately, are, are, are very are high in the most complained about businesses. We know um, from data released by the, the New South Wales Fair Trading Department, uh, they actually release data every month about the most complained about businesses to that office. And Ticketek, I think every month this year is in the top three or four businesses. 
um, uh, we would like to see uh, that sort of data released by all the consumer affairs departments around the country. Unfortunately, our Victorian Consumer Affairs Agency doesn't release that sort of data, but I expect it would be very similar. There are many people complaining about ticketing companies like Ticketek. Why would it be important for people to be able to see that data? What's, what's going to change if we can do that? Look, I think that it sends a, a public signal to uh, policymakers, to regulators, um, that there is a problem here, uh, that the business isn't treating its customers very well. And I think if you think about ticketing companies, Nick, they're a bit different to other businesses that we can kind of uh, choose. Um, you know, in, in a way, you're sort of forced to use the ticketing company. I might be choosing to go to a particular concert or event, uh, but I don't choose the ticketing company. That choice sits with the um, the, the promoter of that uh, event or concert. And so, you know, the, the, the concerns of the ticketing company is probably more to do with uh, the promoter of the event rather than the ultimate consumer. So the, there is a bit of a market failure, market design question there that should, I think, indicate that ticketing companies should have higher standards placed upon them so that they meet the needs of, of you and I. I mean, I guess at the moment, is it because they're the only game in town, as you pointed out, is that why they can afford to run a bit roughshod over customers? Yeah, I think there are competition issues here, both the fact that there are a limited number of ticketing uh, companies out there, but also, yeah, due to this issue that, you know, we don't get to choose the ticketing company. Usually, if I don't like, uh, you know, a particular uh, no. business, I can go and choose a different business, right, and, and sort of vote with my feet or vote with my wallet. Uh, in the case of ticketing companies, you know, w w if we want to go to a particular concert or event, we don't have any choice about which ticketing company to use. So I think there's something there that's really working against consumers' interests. Do consumers also understand what their rights are? I mean, a few people text in saying even when they've managed to get refunds, some of those fees have still been taken by the companies. I mean, this idea that, you know, you don't know what's permissible, what is a company supposed to be doing for you? Yeah, I think that's a, a huge problem. Um, and one of the, uh, the gaps when it comes to, to ticketing companies and, and similar services that we're purchasing is that there isn't any sort of simple way to resolve complaints that's external to the company. If we raise a complaint with a company, uh, it's really up to it whether, you know, it, it treats us well or it responds to the complaint or, or listens to you. Uh, in other sectors, like if you're complaining about a telco company, for example, you can go to the telecommunications ombudsman. Or if you're complaining about an energy company, you can go to the energy and water ombudsman. We don't have that sort of service for ticketing um, companies, or, or, and I think that's a huge gap, that there would be, you know, an independent person that would really scrutinise the response from the ticketing company to make sure it's fair and reasonable and in accordance with your legal rights. Can we change this? Can we, like, I guess, shake up this whole industry to make it fairer? Look, I, I think so, but I think what would need is some leadership from, from government and, and ministers around this area. They mm. really need to want to kind of um, yeah, it tackle uh, the power that is the ticketing companies and the stranglehold they have on the marketplace um, and be reforming uh, laws. I mean, I think it was sort of uh, maybe, um, you know, 10 years ago, there was a particular government inquiry into the secondary resale market um, by ticketing companies, but we really haven't had scrutiny from a policy perspective 
uh, since that time. I've seen a few texts about one of those famous kind of secondary ticket companies, Via Gogo. Many people saying that mm. they've had some major issues with them. Uh, we do know that before the uh, trigger was pulled and uh, this was declared a major event, you know, there were already Taylor Swift tickets up for three thousand dollars on that site. That feels like a wild west at the moment. Yeah, it certainly it certainly is. And the laws in relation to resale of tickets is slightly different between um, different states and territories. And I think uh, the Consumer Advocacy Organisation Choice has been recently calling for some reforms uh, in this area. So there is more consistency. Uh, you know, in some states, there's an automatic rule that if you're reselling any tickets, you can't charge more than sort of 110 uh, percent of of the of the price. Whereas here in Victoria, it really depends on whether a particular event has been declared a major event, as as eventually was the case in the Taylor Swift example. But with other um, events, there isn't any sort of a rule, which does lead to some inconsistency there. And Jared, just very quickly, is some of the confusion here the state-by-state nature of many consumer laws? Do we need a, a better understanding of this on a federal level? Yeah, look, I think that that is an issue. So the, the consumer uh, law framework in Australia is really a cooperative framework between the states and territories and the consumer, the, the Commonwealth government. So we do have an Australian consumer law, um, but if there are to be any changes to that uh, one uh, uh, national law, then it's got to be sort of agreed to by the states and territories, at least a, a proportion of them. Um, and there needs to be coordination uh, between them to get um, uh, reform. Uh, and for some years, that was really lacking because the consumer affairs ministers around the country weren't even meeting. Um, I, I think since the change of federal government, they are now meeting again, but we don't really have much transparency and accountability around that sort of process. They're not clearly releasing any sort of work program or uh, minutes of meetings or, or things like that that might, um, yeah, produce some transparency about what uh, ministers and, and government departments are doing to advance the, the consumer protection framework here in Australia. Jared Brody, thank you so much. I know how busy I appreciate you taking the time today. Jared's the chair of the Consumers Federation of Australia. Paula on the text line, buying tickets for Michael McIntyre had great seats couldn't complete the forms quickly enough and was timed out. Then it happened a second time and then on a third attempt, success, but those ticket, those seats were gone and I ended up with seats way back. Paula Sanger could not have typed faster, had no chance to read terms and conditions. Such a disappointment. Interesting indeed. On the line, Jane and Elwood. Jane, oh, what yeah. did you want to talk about this morning? I purchased tickets to um, several FIFA uh, games in Melbourne and in Sydney, and I wanted to gift the Sydney tickets to mm. four Irish friends who wanted to go. Um, but I'm unable to gift. I can gift three, but the last ticket indicates to me that it's it's being held for me alone, and it was never my intention to go to Sydney for that. So I'm I'm. I've got no one I can talk to. It doesn't address it on the website. Um, so just so no no clear way of even getting in touch with someone to talk about no. what you can do here? Because you're obviously not no. scalping them. You're I giving can, them away. Yes, and um, I can resell my ticket, but I don't want to resell it. I want to give it away to my friends who are a you know, family of four. That is really so, frustrating because, I mean, uh, what's your only option, I guess, get a ticket to Sydney and watch FIFA? <laughs> Yeah, well, that's right. Well, no, I can resell it. You know, I can put it up for resale, but I don't want to do no. that. I want to gift it. 
Yeah, of course. So, and I can't, it's all on the phone. I, I can't give them my phone to take the Sydney. Jane, thank you. Jane from Elwood there on the line. Uh, someone texting in saying the recent US tour of The Cure, they priced their concert tickets at 20 bucks. They were trying to, I guess, put a little bit of a boot into some of these ticket sellers. This text is saying fans still paid $50 plus after all of the ticket master fees. There was an outcry for refunds of all of those fees as well. It does feel like there's a lot of confusion sometimes about how much you are actually going to pay at the end of one of these ticket buying ventures. You click all your boxes and at the end of it, you see what a ticket costs and what you're actually being charged often feels very, very different. Now, I did say earlier that Victoria's anti-scalping laws kicked into gear when the Taylor Swift in particular was declared a major event. Not every gig gets that level of recognition, obviously. Now, Johnny Blackley is an investigative reporter with the consumer organisation Choice. Johnny, ticket scalping, we've just touched on it a little bit, but this seems like a really big game. Yeah, and um, we we think that the Victorian law in particular has a real weakness to it, this uh, waiting for the minister to designate an event as a major event before that 10% um, of the original sales price cap comes in. Um, we saw with the Taylor Swift tickets last week that the tickets went on sale on Monday and it wasn't until Tuesday afternoon that the minister came out and designated the event. So we saw all kinds of scalping going on on Monday for the MCG concert, tickets being sold above $3,000 each. Mm. Um, and that was totally legal. Um, there was no protections there for consumers. And and we think that also the, um, those protections should be in place for all events, not just the, the biggest concerts, the ones that are designated major events, but for every concert and, and sporting event as well. It does seem like a clunky way to do it, that someone has to say, no, this is very important, so people can't, you know, make big big bucks on it. You mentioned, of course, Victoria has very, I think you described them as weak anti-scalping laws. Are there other states doing it better? Well, in New South Wales, for example, the that 10% cap um, just comes into effect on all, all ticket sales, and, and we think that's a better approach. Um, there are pretty much very similar laws in most states and territories, uh, pretty much always limiting it to that 10% mark. So we think that those laws are are stronger and that this kind of need for the minister to designate the event is is an unnecessary weakness in the law. I took a look at one of my old ticket receipt emails and like in fairness it's been a while since I've been to one of the big big concerts but I took a look at it and there's the ticket price and then there was a service fee for the digital ticket and then there was a payment processing fee. And at the end of it, what, as I said before, that ticket actually cost was not anything close to what I paid. But I couldn't tell you what any of those additional fees were actually doing for me or for the company. Do we need a better transparency about these costs? Yeah, so um, we think that companies should be really upfront with consumers about what the total cost is going to be, not just what the you know pre-service fees and things like that. Um, and yeah, and also uh, with with ticket scalping, we see that as well. That that, um, that there's an advertised price that it, even at its inflated level is not the total price that you end up paying because um, they they tack on a lot of fees at the end of that as well. So even those scalping, uh, I guess, websites are making quite a lot of bank on this, not just the people selling the tickets. Yeah, so they they get a cut from from the ticket sales and. 
Um, we've seen, you know, uh, the Swiss-based company Viagogo got a $7 million fine in 2020 um, from, <clears throat> for, for misleading interceptive conduct on, on their ticket sales. Um, and obviously that hasn't been enough to get them to kind of crack down on, on these exorbitant ticket scalping prices. So obviously the money that they're making, uh, you know, the, you'd think a $7 million fine would be a big enough incentive to, to change that model, but obviously it hasn't been. What would be a big enough incentive, do you think? Uh, I'm not sure, but <laughs> <laughs> the the other, I mean, as well as kind of strong regular action from the state consumer protection bodies for breaching these laws, as well as, um, you know, federal action, um, the other thing we really um, need to see is the like from the likes of Google and these kind of ad companies that, because we see um, these ticket resellers pay a lot of, money to, to appear at the top of your search bar when you search for things like Taylor Swift tickets. Um, and, you know, we've seen consumers buy tickets to concerts in the past and not even realise that it was a reselling website and that it wasn't the official ticket seller. So huh. we think that um, there's a role to play for companies like Google to stop, stop taking the ad money from these uh, companies that are breaching laws and illegally reselling tickets. I literally just had a text on that from Judy saying, you know, via GoGo or via GoGo, apologies, pay millions of dollars to be the first in the search list, um, saying basically they're not the official sellers, they have huge fees, it's very, very confusing. And above all, from between you and David earlier and Jared, it just feels like there is very hard to know what your rights are as a consumer with these virtual ticket sales? Yeah, so a lot of... Um, I've written stories about people who have um, purchased tickets through these sites and never received their tickets at all, and they've tried to lodge Whoa. complaints and and, um, and actually kind of, you know... Uh, these there, A lot of these sites say they have ticket guarantees and things like that, but the actual process of getting uh, a refund or getting... Um, any kind of action or even response from these companies is is very hard. Johnny, in terms of the Taylor Swift in particular and just how much it's throwing this into the spotlight, how important is that that people get a better sense of just the confusion, the potential for rip-offs, the problems when it comes to ticketing? Yeah, well, obviously, because Taylor Swift is, is such a popular artist, it really has thrown this subject into the spotlight in a way that, you know, your average gig wouldn't. Um, there was just so much demand last week, you know, thousands of people. I'm sure your office was probably filled as well with people <laughs> just on the browser waiting for that, that little death spiral. But, um, yeah, so I think it really has highlighted the kind of, um, yeah, the, the potential rip-offs that are out there as well as the exorbitant scalping of tickets. You know, um, I, I had people on Twitter messaging me offering to sell me tickets that, that were probably scams as far as wow. I could tell. And um, yeah, it's obviously it, it is it is you described as the wild west, and it really really is out there. Well, look, we haven't even touched on that yet, have we? But these you know events like this do prompt these huge scams. There are many ways for people to be ripped off, whether it's Taylor Swift or the next giant sporting event. Yeah, and I think the the thing is is that when you're approaching a lot of these reselling websites, there needs to be a lot of caution, um, and you need to be aware of the fact that. You know, it's not even just the money that you're forking out. You know, you might be willing to pay $3,000 to see Taylor Swift, but you might not even end up getting what you pay for because the ticket's fake or mm. um, never received or, or all these things. And um, the revenues for complaint and the, the avenues for complaint and 
for recourse uh, are extremely limited. Johnny, just quickly before I let you go, Molly texting saying, look, we bought tickets to a Smashing Pumpkins Jane Addictions gig uh, in Hastings earlier this year. Molly, it sounds like an incredible gig right up my alley. Uh, Molly's saying we found out via socials it was cancelled, but the promoter didn't let us know. We had to contact them to get refunds. None of the extra fees we paid on top of the pick- ticket price were actually refunded. Not the first time I've heard this Clearly, the refunding laws, when it comes to what people can get back from tickets, uh, feel shaky at best. Yeah, I, I haven't had too much of a look into that, but um, obviously in that instance, you'd, you'd, you'd want uh, all the fees that you paid to be to be fully refunded. You know, that would be the fair approach. It would be. Johnny Blackley, thank you very much. Johnny's an investigative journalist with Choice. Alison from Croydon on the line. Alison, good morning. What did you want to say this morning? I was just going to say probably the most simple and effective way to stop the ticket scalping, to stop these resellers, to stop the bots, and also to get the priorities of like people in a queue in line is to legislate against online ticket sales and let's go back to the ticket outlets like we used to where you queue first in best dressed you know the tickets you're getting you know the seats you're getting you know the conditions that you're getting and you can go back to that place to get the refund you say go back to it have you, have you done uh, a few ticket queues in your time um yeah i'll i'm in my very late 40s nearly 50 <laughs> so i have done yes um in my younger years and for football events as well as concerts and stuff yeah and it, it worked very well there weren't all these complaints there weren't all these issues People and everybody was reasonably like if you got up the or the afternoon before and went and took your sleeping bag and that and queued mm. all kudos to that person for getting it. There wasn't all these problems. Not and just- also too, you will stop the bots and the sc- uh, scalping. Well, you will. You might not stop scalping, scalping, but you'll stop uh, those kind yeah. of bots and the automation it of it. Yeah, it will make it a lot harder. And at the risk of sounding absolutely ancient, the caller we had before who was trying to give away FIFA tickets, when you are physically holding tickets, that seems like a lot easier than trying yep. to find a way to transfer digital tickets in your name. Yes. Alison, yep. Alison, yep. thank you. Um, and Linky from Hampton, also calling Linky. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I agree with uh, Alison, uh, why not have the physical ticket that you have to go and pick up and that should uh, eliminate um, the scammers, uh, the computer scammers. Uh, um, but also my, my point was uh, that why not go to a local band venue and support an up-and-coming local uh, young artist that need the support more so than someone like Taylor Swift. And I understand that people like to go Taylor Swift because she's a superstar but um, she had to do the hard yards back in the day and uh, to get support. I agree, but even the smaller bands I'll go and see, I still find myself having to go via online ticket sales. I mean, we, we seem to have moved well away from the idea of turn up and it's 10 bucks on the door. Sadly. Uh, the good old days. The good old, the good old days. days. <laughs> um, yeah, if, if we... Because the, the computer internet's opened up to all scammers. So if you have the physical piece of paper in your hand saying that I've bought this ticket at this price, I've got my position, bingo, bango, you're done, you're in. 
Yeah. Linky, thank you for calling in. I really appreciate it. Uh, Mark on the text line saying timeouts are a constant problem. It just feels like websites are so slow, difficult to use, inconsistent, even says Mark. Doesn't matter what time of the day, what show, I don't think I've ever not had a problem. It's disgraceful. Mark also saying there's just no real competition as well. I wouldn't mind that service fee if they improved the sites and service, but they haven't. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Nick Healy here filling in for Rochelle this week. Alison saying, it's all very good having the queue, but it feels a bit city-centric. What about regional fans? An incredibly good point. What about fans who cannot physically spend time in queue as well? Another really, really good point. Keep these texts coming in. I'm really appreciating them. Look, the old phrase goes, the Latin QE bono, who profits? And so who does actually make the money from all of these ticket sales. Sam Whiting is a lecturer in the creative industries at the University of South Australia. Uh, Sam, good morning to you. Thanks for having me, Nick. Taylor, not a struggling artist by any means, obviously, but does she see the bulk of this profit from these ticket sales? I mean, who's actually making the money here? Well, there's very high production costs, of course, for a tour like Taylor Mm. Swift, Um, but we have in Australia, what uh, the age has previously described as a sort of corporate triumvirate um, that controls especially major events. Um, and I would even say that in terms of ticketing, it's a duopoly. We have Ticketmaster and we have Ticket Tech. Now, Ticketmaster is owned by Live Nation, which is a massive uh, multinational concert promoting business, and Ticket Tech is also owned by a US firm. So, and a lot of these uh, ticketing agencies have sort of sole supply contracts with the venues. So there's this whole supply chain that is usually owned or controlled by one company and a, a often a US multinational. Now, the Taylor Swift tour is being um, brought out by Frontier Tour- Touring along with Taylor Swift's own touring company. So she's actually got her own touring company. Um, and Frontier have obviously partnered with Ticket Tech um, and are using their venues. So that kind of market consolidation, which we see in Australia, really skews things in favour of um, the, the venues, the concert promoters, but also with a star at Taylor's level, the artist um, has a lot of bargaining power there as well. And not an Australia-only problem, just to be very, very clear here. I think it was late Absolutely. last year that Taylor Swift even kicked off a uh, congressional hearing into the nature of ticket sales. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So um, Ticketmaster actually has quite a strong hold on most of the major venues, arenas and stadiums in the US. Um, it, you think it's bad in Australia, <laughs> it's worse in the US. Um, and they actually attempted dynamic pricing for Taylor's tour uh, in the US. So the same sort of pricing um, systems were used for airline flights. So the the price of the ticket was changing in real time based on the level of demand. And you can just imagine the level of demand. Taylor Swift touring after three or four years of not being on the road in the US, it was astronomical, you know, tickets were... And this is, you know, direct from the supply. This is in secondary sites. Tickets going for 4,000 kind of plus area. Now, Sam, we haven't touched on dynamic pricing yet, and I do want to get to it, because it, the more I read about it, the more I'm really quite shocked about it. I know Bruce Springsteen even got in a lot of trouble for it, but essentially it's almost like your, um, your rideshare surge pricing. The more demand there is, the more you're going to pay. That's right. And I think for something that's so emotionally charged as um, going to see live music, where 
that fandom and that connection with the artist really drives demand to sometimes absurd levels. Um, dynamic pricing can really skew things to, uh, I would say, pretty um, unequitable level. Because, um, you know, those, those mega fans, young people in particular, they, they don't care how much it costs mm. to go and see their favourite art. They're going to spend it. Um, and going back to the, the Ticketmaster control on US venues in particular, um, Pearl Jam actually, one of my personal favourite stories, is Pearl Jam actually tried to dispute this way back in the 90s. Um, so what happened is they, using their kind of status as the biggest um, band in the US at the time, wanted to kind of take on Ticketmaster and set their own service fees on tickets so that they saw more of the, um, they saw more of the profits, but also they could pass on those savings to their audience members. They wanted to keep ticket prices reasonable. Um, this provoked a huge dispute, Ticketmaster, because it controlled most of the venues that Pearl Jam were due to play in at that time, um, but said, no, absolutely not. Um, so Pearl Jam boycotted those venues, and, but because of the stranglehold that Ticketmaster had on those venues in the 90s, um, it amounted to a strike. Pearl Jam were basically, wow. basically, yeah, Pearl Jam didn't play in the US for three to four years because um, they refused to play Ticketmaster-controlled venues. Um, that was, that's the last time a major artist has really stood up to these ticking agencies. But I think Taylor Swift could be the artist to do it. She has the star power. She has the bargaining power. She has massive um, demand for her live performances. So if there's any artist in the world that could do it, it could be Taylor. It, clearly what Pearl Jam did didn't have any long-term effects, or, or was there a bit of a shake-up that then disappeared as that digital disruptor age appeared? Um. Yeah, it, it, it had a long-term effects in terms of um, it sort of it sort of opened the playing field for artists to be more activist in the way that they do their ticketing services. So more mm. recently, um, Rage Against the Machine, another personal favourite of mine, um, to combat scalping, they for their recent reunion tour, they've been withholding. 10% of their ticket sales until closer to the date. And then they'll release those at a slightly higher price, but undercutting all the scalpers. So the scalpers that have been holding onto those tickets will lose out and Raging Machine will be able to sell those tickets to legitimate fans. And with that little bit of buffer, they were actually um, giving that extra profit to charities and other activist organisations. So I think what Pearl Jam did was inspire artists a little bit to sort of push back. But Considering the market power of, of these massive multinationals like Ticketmaster and Ticketek and their parent companies, uh, it's really, really difficult for grassroots and medium-tier artists to have any sort of choice as to um, what ticketing agency they go with um, because most venues at a certain size have sole supply contracts with those ticketing agencies. So in Australia, it's Ticketek or Ticketmaster at a certain level all arenas and stadiums will use one or the other. So if an artist says, I don't want to, I don't want to work with this ticketing agency. Their service fees are too high. I don't want to pass on that cost to my audience mm -hmm. or I, I don't want to absorb that cost myself. They can go to the other ticketing agency. So they might be working with Ticketmaster. They'll go to Ticketek. Ticketek, because it's basically a duopoly, will say no. And so they won't get the tour. So it's really difficult to start, to stand up to these big companies, I think Taylor Swift might be the only artist in the world that could actually do it. Sam, and she has a... She, sorry, go on. Uh, no, 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 you go. She has a... She has a, Well, she has a history of um, 
activism, you know, right. uh, especially as a recording artist. She's, she just has re-recorded and re-released all of her older songs um, because there was a royalty dispute. Um, there was a rights dispute around that, and she wanted to own the songs that she wrote. She also was a very late adopter of Spotify. Her music was not available on Spotify until um, it had been available to global consumers for quite a long time because she knew that if she could control... Um, the distribution, the distribution of her music, she could control its value, um, and she knew that putting her music on Spotify was ultimately going to devalue it. But the trade-off was accessibility. So she has, she actually has, as a recording artist, she has a history of standing up to these big companies, and I think it would be really interesting to see if if she'd be willing to do that um, with these concert promoters and ticket in agencies. Sam, this may not be an easily answered question, but how did we get here in Australia to this duopoly? I've had a text from Pete in Ballarat saying, look, these companies, these online ticket sales agencies, they're sort of the the digital disruptors. They move into an industry, destroy traditional setups, and then go along to make as much money as they can. They're there to rake in profits only. Pete, obviously not a huge fan, but how (laughs) did this all become just down to two companies? Well, I think it's uh, over a long period of sort of like deregulation of a lot of different markets. And because concert promotion is a global market, you know, these are global touring artists, Mm -hmm. um, we have seen sort of our legislation has kind of fallen into line with broader global legislation. Um, And the, you know, concert promoting in the music industry is full of cowboys. It's a fairly haphazard, unregulated sector um, because it's so complex, because it's hard to know, you know, are artists entrepreneurs? Are they workers? What rights are they entitled to? It's It's a very difficult industry to regulate. And also, as your, uh, as your texter pointed out, it is usually the first entertainment industry to be disrupted by new technology. So it takes policymakers a very long time to catch up. I'm quite interested in what happened with Bruce Springsteen because he actually got hammered for using mm. that dynamic pricing. In fact, there were whole Bruce Springsteen fandoms that sort of almost deliberately shut themselves down and said, we will no longer support him. Yeah, that's right. So um, on a recent tour, Bruce it was only 10% of his tickets. He, he yeah, allocated yep. 10% of his tickets to um, that would be sold at dynamic pricing. Um, but because of the level of inflation that, that, that sort of level, that sort of pricing drives up, when with Bruce Springsteen, you've got fans who are obsessed. You know, they'll go to every show. They'll follow him around the country. Um, it led to really, really high ticket sales for that allocation. And because, you know, he has a, a very strong identity as a working class hero, um, people were very upset. People, um, there was a yeah, long-running fanzine called Backstreets that said, we will, not, you know, we're done with Bruce. Um, <laughs> we think we think he's kind of abandoned his core values. Um and I think that's really interesting because uh, we're not talking about a black and white transaction of goods and services when we're talking about concert promotion. There's a lot of identity, emotion attached to these events and people um, are willing to pay a lot for it. So it's really up to the artist to decide how much they're willing to give to their audience. And I would say that um, we have been focusing on ticketing agencies, but Taylor is controlling the supply here. She's chosen only to do seven mm-hmm. dates. Um, Pink Pink is touring early next year. Um, you know, comparable, massive, uh, long-running artist. Pink's doing 17 dates in Australia and New Zealand. So 
Um, she's making herself much more available to audiences than Taylor is. Bruce Springsteen, last time he was here, he did 14 dates, including quite a lot of regional dates. So... Taylor has, has, has chosen to only play in Sydney and Melbourne. She's chosen to only do seven shows. So uh, I think there should be a little bit of uh, um, blame put back on the artist, maybe, to, to, to you know, give it to her fans. If she wanted to play New Zealand, if she wanted to play Brisbane, she could tell her management that that's something she wants to do, but she's chosen not to. Sam, just hold the line for one second, because I do think Ian from Cheltenham is back with us. Ian, good morning. Good morning, and apologies for that. I think I wasn't pedalling fast enough. <laughs> what did you want to uh, say this morning? Look, you mentioned supply, and of course supply determines demand. And one of the things that, that doesn't often come up is the amount of tickets that actually actually go on sale to the public. There's a strong percentage of tickets that are available to the music industry that although they're paid for and ticketed to the event, don't go to the public. You've also got the credit card companies, uh, MasterCard diners who also mm. get first dibs on tickets for their members, uh, airline companies, uh, tourist companies promoting, uh, you know, a package away, maybe not for a concert, but for events like, I don't know, Phantom in Sydney, you know, you get the ticket and the hotel accommodation. There's a, a, a large percentage of tickets that, you know, it's, I always find it amusing when they say these events sold out in, you know, 20 minutes or an hour or something, but they don't actually specify how many tickets of the Ten or fifty or eighty thousand arena actually went on sale, and of course, because they're sold electronically, you have no way of sort of knowing, you know, how many people are in the queue out the front of the shop, like it used to be in the, you know, in the old days. And that is fascinating. And Sammy, I think it just goes to also that lack of transparency that's been the underpinning theme of all the conversations I've had this morning. People just don't really understand a lot about how these ticketing decisions are made. That's right. Yeah, there's this really, um, it's very opaque. And that, that has been the modus operandi of the live music industry and the music industry in general. It's to kind of confuse people. Things aren't transparent. Um, you know, you've got corporate boxes and things like that that are being withheld. Uh, so Ian's definitely right. There is a lot of, uh, confusion. And I think that's intentional. Um, one of the, one of the things that Pell Jam actually was disputing, um, quite, uh, in particular, was putting the service fee that was going to the ticketing agencies on the concert ticket. And that was one thing that Ticketmaster wow. were really, really opposed to. They didn't want punters to know how much money for that percentage of that ticket was going to them specifically. And they fought that really hard with lobbyists, <laughs> and, that, you know, they won. They won because they had the deeper pockets? Absolutely. Sam, one second. Georgie Carroll, Swift superfan, PhD candidate, were you surprised at how few concerts were coming for Taylor Swift? Not particularly, just because she had done so much in America. So there's an element of exhaustion. She's been touring for a year. I was surprised she didn't go to New Zealand, but I was expecting only Sydney and Melbourne and only a couple of t- uh, a couple of shows. But clearly that created a greater demand than we might have seen if they, she was able to add, you know, like another seven shows or something. Yes, but I also think that's part of it. She wants to show, like, how in demand she is that, you know, she sold out that these fans... I mean, not that she wants her fans to be upset, but it does become this exclusive event that fans can be like, you know, I was at Mm. Eras 2024 in Sydney or I made it to Eras 2024 in Melbourne. Like, it becomes a status symbol in a way, and I think she likes that. At the end of the day... 
Will this impact anyone's love for an artist as big as Taylor Swift? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> the fans that missed out will be disappointed, but they won't ever blame Taylor. They'll blame Ticketek. They'll blame the internet. They'll blame the industry. It's never Taylor's fault in their eyes. Um, they will just keep loving her. They'll keep listening to her music. I mean, she's releasing Speak Now Taylor's version this Friday. We will see just people continuing to love her and just hope for the next tour and be willing to spend more so they don't miss out next time. Georgie, I'm so glad we managed to get you back on. Thank you. And Sam, just really quickly before we wrap up, what does this mean for an entry-level or a mid-tier artist and a small venue? Can we make a situation where ticketing is fair for their fans and and pays that artist what they deserve? Yeah, it it is really hard for emerging artists, Um, much harder than it's ever been, I think, before, because uh, they are so powerless in the face of these, these really big companies. Um, and especially as they go up the chain right because the market consolidation increases as they as they move to arenas and bigger venues so i think then there is room here for a bit of a breakup of these of these bigger um venues and and in terms of the the multinational element of it um they they, i think there needs to be a sort of approach to it because the barriers to entry for emerging artists are getting higher and higher and as live concert promotion is um and live live touring is the main revenue stream for a lot of artists right now um it's very difficult for those artists so yeah i would like to see um some intervention from policymakers, um, but, you know, that remains to be seen. Dr Sam Whiting, thank you so much. Sam is a lecturer in creative industry, especially the business around them at the University of South Australia. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about whether Australia has a problem with ageism.